0: Hey, it's Madison, the Black Eagle, and here's a highlight from today's show. You know, this is a switch. Um, And the the evenings of going on Don Lemon's show was him interviewing me, and now I get to interview Don Lemon. And first of all, congratulations on uh, on the book, This is the Fire. Um, and I got to tell you, the one thing I think some people will take away from the book, Don, is you got this baby face, but you old, man. You've been... <laughs>
1: You know what? You, you had to you've go. Been around
0: a, you've been around a long time.
1: I was going to say, well, who is this Joe Madison being nice?
0: And then you, I, all of a sudden, bam, right across well, the Well, no, I, I don't mean that. I mean, you know, I, who am I to talk about being old? I'm probably a, a, a couple of decades older than you. But you've been, but the point, the one takeaway I hope people get when they read, you have been around yeah. and doing this a long time you're not you're not new to this um this broadcasting business are you
1: no man i've been on the earth i for a long time i mean to some people they may you know they may think that i'm a baby very few people um but no i've been doing i've been in in broadcast news since the night since 1990 i think um and you know there you go for for where 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 did it start for people who don't know so here's the deal. I okay. left Louisiana. It's either 1990 or 1991. I left Louisiana um, because my my uh, journalism teacher told me I would I wasn't going to make it as a journalist. Really? Yes. Is but this high school or college? This is college. Go this ahead. Is college too. Go we ahead. In the hallway, and I had trouble. You know, I, I wasn't the best editor, but I was great on camera. I was natural. I could speak. I could write. I could do all those things, but I had trouble editing. This was videotape. This was the VHS era, and I just couldn't, you know, get it, you know, quite perfectly. And so he just sort of looked at me in the hallway. We had finished an exam, and I had to edit and put this thing together. And he said, "You're not going to make it. Why don't you do something that's more suited towards?" And I was like, "What does that mean?" And and he would be smiling in the faces of all the little, you know, little white girls in the class, and then but when it came to me. He was never, he never really cared for me and was never really open and didn't really help me. Instead of like helping me um, try to figure out how to do the videotape thing, he just killed my spirit. And I said, you know what, I gotta get out of here. I knew what it was. It was- crazy. How many
0: how many, uh, how many?
1: black students in your class? God, I don't, I, I can't remember. As I'm old, this was 1990, 1989, 1990. But, the, but what I'm
0: getting at clearly, uh, there wasn't a lot
1: no this was LSU there wasn't yeah yeah
0: see but, that that's why most people are probably listening now and saying you should have gone to Grambling but anyway I, no, I no, no, no no no
1: don't Southern
0: <laughs> oh I'm sorry excuse me
1: that's Southern, right Southern. I, grew up, I grew up what a, two three miles from Southern University yeah not that far Um, And my mom went to Southern University, my dad went to Southern University, my sister went to Southern University, my uncle and my sister went to Grand Lake. So it was always a rival, especially for the Bayou Classic. But yeah, that's why I left Louisiana and then came to New York City and started working um, as a peon at WNYW Fox 5.
0: And and so you leave Louisiana and go where? And then the question is, and you talk about this, and how did you... Get to Louisiana. I mean, get, was it Chicago? Was it? Oh, Chicago? I went to New York. I came New to New York. How yeah. did, so wait a minute. Wait, see, again, understand to go from Louisiana to the big apple, uh-huh. man, I would have gone back to that college professor at LSU and say, <laughs> well
1: yeah, okay, look where I am. So, uh, so I had been, um, I had been in, I have an aunt who lived in uh, Sugar Hill up in Harlem. And um, I would house fit, house sit for her in the summer and in high school sometimes. So I had a little bit of knowledge of New York. They would go and take these trips to, to um, Africa and Egypt and all these long, and I would watch sitting and watch their, their townhouse. And so I knew of New York a little bit. And I said, I'm, I'm getting out of here. And I'm moving to the big city and I'm never coming back. I swear, Joe, I know it's a cliche and people say, you know, you hear it all the time. I had $200. And a 1987 Jeep Wrangler, and everything that I owned, and I packed it up, and I moved to New York City, and I never looked back. Yeah, I was going to make it regardless, and that's what happened. And and so and so, people who
0: think uh, maybe you took the elevator up to the top, explain to people as you did in the book: this was not an elevator ride. Matter of fact, you weren't even on an escalator. This uh, I-
1: <laughs> I took the I took the stairs. I'm trying let me turn this um uh, on yeah. my outlook on it. And you can hear it. Um no 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 no. I had to take the stairs and sometimes I had to take the the, the fire stairs, not the fancy ones, the back way, right? Um uh the emergency exit stairs. <laughs> yeah, because I went to here's what I did. I came to New York City. Um I started working at Fox five. I got a job making $5 an hour, Joe, as a trainee in the newsroom. It was a six month deal where they showed you, they taught you what to do, how to be in the newsroom. And within, I think four, three or four months in, they were like, oh, you're really smart. So I became an assistant to the assignment, the assignment desk editor. Then I became in a production, a production assistant, but I was freelance doing all this stuff. Um, and then I became um, a field producer, Um, a satellite feeds coordinator uh, and a writer for the 10 o'clock news. And then I became an assignment editor. So, but, but by the time I left, I was there for four or five years. I could do every single job in the newsroom and I put my tape together. We got a new news director. She said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I told her I wanted to be on air. She said, well, show me your tape thinking I didn't have one. And 30 minutes later, the tape was on her desk. And she said, Oh, you're really good. I would put you on the air. And I said, well, give me a chance. And she gave me a shot, put me on the air. Of course, there were haters saying, why does he get to be on the air? This is not something you get to do, blah, blah, blah. And she would let me every once in a while do uh, a segment on the air. And then from that, um, this is the beginning of Fox, not Fox News, this is before Fox News, Joe. There were, Fox began to buy all of these stations around the country, a lot of them were ABC stations. And a lot of the people who worked for ABC said, I don't want to work for a Fox station. And so they were quitting. And that's how I got my job. I went to Birmingham, Alabama. I was in Birmingham, Alabama for 11 months. They moved me to St. Louis. I was in St. Louis for a year and a half. NBC discovered me at the National Association of Black Journalists Convention, tried to get me out of my Fox contract. and They couldn't. I had to stay there. They brought me to Philadelphia and they told me they wanted to um, train me uh, so that they could eventually send me to NBC News in New York. I'm like, yeah, right. But true enough, after my contract was over three years, I went to NBC News in New York. Um, NBC News, uh, Chicago station. I don't know if you remember Warner Saunders. Sure. Absolutely. Warner had cancer, was ready to retire, and they needed someone to take over for Warner. They sent me there to be the five o'clock anchor and train. Warner didn't retire. I loved him. It's not a big deal. And I said I don't want to stay in Chicago. CNN hired me. I was in Atlanta for seven years, and now I'm back in New York. I moved back here in 2013. And this is I'm a new this, gypsy.
0: Yeah, but no, but, but again, it's important because two things. One is this is what young people who want to get in broadcasting should understand. It's it's the it's the journey. It's not overnight. You know, it's not overnight, and it's the journey. But here's what I want to get to as it relates to the book. As you're talking along the way, you mentioned you had the haters, you had people who supported you, people who read the book and people who watch you every night. They probably do to you what they often do to me when they hear me on the radio. They think we're haters. Yeah. They think that, that, you know, that uh, we don't, Uh, we don't have relationships with people of all races and all genders. Right. And that's what I got out of the book. You, you, you know, you're sort of talking to your nephew. Right. But you're, you I I get the sense what you're trying to teach him and the readers is that you got to relate to all kinds of people. Right. And, and and so unpack that for a moment.
1: Well, I mean, listen. We live in a world. Um, we live in, in a country, right? That's filled with different kinds of people. A world that's filled with different kinds of people. But I'm speaking to Americans now. We live in a country that is that is a diverse country, and most of us live in our own silos. And I, I think it was designed that way. But in order for us to continue on with this thing that we call this democracy, right, or this republic, it's really a republic. Then we're gonna we're going to have to live together, no matter. Um, no matter what you think about your fellow man, no matter how you feel your fellow man has treated you, now, it does, that doesn't mean that you have to let somebody abuse you or use you or you know or exploit you. But you're going to have to get along and live with other people. So I always say, if you really want to to fix this whole problem of racism, what you're going to have to do is find a friend who doesn't look like you, who who, really? who can relate, who you can relate to, because it is tough to demonize someone. That you have a relationship with you once you get to know someone else 's humanity it 's hard to look upon them as other. You start to relate to them and you start to see more of the similarity and but mainly, I am saying that mostly to white people because we are forced to interact and live with 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 people of all different ethnicities through work we're, and, and we are forced to learn more about them and know more about them than they know about us but I think that is the only way to fix it is through a relationship. Look at the relationships that you have with your family. You don't agree with them all the time, but you still love them. You don't see them as inhuman. It's hard for you to put a knee on someone's neck and hold it there for 8 minutes if you know them and you have a relationship with them. And so that's what I that's what I mean by that. I look, you and I, Joe, have agreed and we have had some some big disagreements, but at the end of the day, I love Joe Madison. And we're in this country together, and we're trying to work this thing out. We don't always agree with each other, but I love you as a brother. The same thing with, you know, there are people who work for different stations. I can't say that I love them so much now after the, after the, the last administration because of what they're doing to the country. But before, I accepted what they were doing, and I thought that they were doing it because that's what they believed. Now I know they were doing it because they're just exploiting people and and so I don't you know I've had to get rid of a lot of people who I thought um not that they had my best interests at heart but they were operating from a place of um of authenticity and that's not so I I gotta I
0: gotta Don I gotta interrupt I'm trying to think what 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 disagreements have we had I thought I've agreed with everything that you said.
1: Joe, on TV, you but,
0: always agree. Come on. Well, I th- oh, I thought we were just acting. Mm-hmm. I thought I was. I called myself trying to help you out. You know, I mean, give me a break, man. I, now
1: I realize.
0: Oh, okay. how terrible!
1: On. Who wants someone that's going to everything you say is like, yeah, right? Yo, yeah, you're
0: right. Yeah. Right? Yeah, no, I'm. Oh, I'm being oh, facetious oh. because I do the same thing. Yeah. Not, you know, and you go. How people. boring can it be to, to sit here and be broadcast and then? And then, oh, hey, yeah. I, you know who used to do that, though, in broadcasting? Who? Rush Limbaugh. He, remember, you, well, you remember Ditto Heads? Well, dog. the dog remembers.
1: <laughs> 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 yes. But think about, okay, okay, okay. But I want you to think about this. Think about when you go, to the, when I go to the shop. half of the fun is That's starting, right, is arguing with, with somebody and getting, yeah. you know, goosing them. And that's what you do as, that's what you do as a radio person. And I do similar New, thing on the air. That's right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, because cause it, it gets, it gets the debate going. Right. It gets you to look at, at both sides. How did you come up with this title though? And, and that, that, that leads me to asking what I always ask authors. And when did this start? When did you start writing? And, oh. and, and was it, you know, I mean, was it at the beginning of the Trump administration? Nope. What moved you to, to say, "I got to put this down on paper"?
1: Well, James Baldwin is a, is a person is my I call him my literary icon, right? He's the best author I know. And so, when I was in uh, freshman in college, I read this, and this is one of the original my original copies, and it's the Fire Next Time. Oh yes, yeah, I've got yeah, I've got the book up here. Yes, yeah, right. So, uh, like, my original. Let me. But these are my original notes that I have starred. And so it's called the fire next time, and I and I said if I if I'm going to write a book specifically about race, I want it to be as powerful and as short and as impactful as this book. And so the fire next time, and then this is the fire. This is the answer, my answer to James Baldwin. Not that I want to be James Baldwin. It's a I got you. Tribute okay. Tribute to James Baldwin, and that's why I started with a letter to my nephew, as he started the fire next time with a letter to his nephew. Right. As you know, during the. I think the most prominent journalists of color that was in the middle of the conversation were April Ryan and me during the Trump administration. Right? She's at the White House. I'm not at the White House, but every single night on television, I had this platform where I could talk about, and Joy Reid, but where I could sit there in prime time every night and talk about and analyze the Trump administration. People would ask me to write books all the time. And i said say, I don't want to be connected to the Trump administration like that. I'm not writing a book about them. I don't want to write a political book. I'm not a political person. I just happen to be a journalist living in this era and reporting. And then Charlottesville happened. And he started you know, making excuses for white supremacists and neo-Nazis. And then Ahmaud Arbery happened in Georgia. And I was like, oh, there's a black man dying on camera. Then um, Breonna Taylor happened. So uh, there's a black woman dying in her bed. And then George Floyd happened another on camera, eight minutes. And I said, okay, now is the time for me to write the book because James Baldwin said, God gave no other rainbow sign, no more water, the fire. Next time I said, this is the fire. We're in it right now. And that's how the book came about. I started writing the book right after George Floyd happened. It happened really fast.
0: Wow. And, and, and did you, did you just take notes as things developed? Um, I mean, did you write yeah. chapters? Uh, did you write paragraphs?
1: I started writing notes and I would take, I would use um, my phone and like little voice memos or I would just write okay. down. And then I had a collaborator that I would send notes to and I would write things. And then um, she would say, Tell me more about this and what do you think? And I would send her a copy. Yeah. Um, and maybe you should try to, uh, why don't you try it in this way? Um, uh, when you write the letter to your nephew, um, does he, she would say, does, does he look like you? And I would say, yes, thank you. I'll call you back. Okay. And then I would write, you know, I would write about how I hope that you ease that you learn to live with your blackness with an ease that I never did. And then I would send that to her. And she'd go, that was perfect. And then we would put these sentences and chapters together after I got back after I got off work, Joe, you know, I worked till midnight every night. I would call her in the car and I would be writing the book as I'm, speaking to her on the phone in the car and she would just take the chapters and put them together for me. And then she'd say, "Um, you told me you wanted to write a chapter about policing. Let's talk about policing. And I would say, okay, so here's what I wanna know about policing. And she'd say, okay, so far you've given me this point, on these four points, write some stuff and send it to me. And that's when I would, and she would just keep me focused on whatever chapter that I was doing in the moment. And I would write it and send it to her like an editor. And then all of a sudden, three months later, I would look and I, and I said, oh my God, I have a book. Lady, you're a genius. How did you do that? And did, she didn't have to, she didn't write the book for me. I wrote it. Right. You just helped me organize it. That's how it happened. Now. But I had, a, by the way, I had a two hour commute. I was commuting two hours to and from work every day. And in those two hours, I would be writing that book.
0: The, the one thing I'm left with, and, and as I have the book here and I you know I always try and and at least browse through the book sometimes I look at the index to see who's in it and who I know but we you get a lot of books like I do but when I started I just could not put this book down I because there was so much that you experienced that I've experienced but now I see what you're talking about. This is the fire. Mm-hmm. But here's what I, as we try to close out on, on this, how do you put out the fire? Because that's where I kind of was left. All right, this is the fire. I agree. We talk yeah. about it. You, you talk about it every night. I talk about it five days every morning. How do you put out the fire?
1: I give some idea in the book, um, but I also say that I am, I don't pretend to know all the answers and I'm a journalist. And so a journalist, uh, you know, we, we sort of report on the times, but here's what I, what I will say is that you have to do the work. You've got to, as I really believe, you've got to get to know people who are not like you. And I talk about how we have to, um, put down our, our sort of uh, righteous rage. And, and I say that uh, white people have to, how did I write it? Um, have to uh, not rely on black people just to teach them about racism. And the, uh, the way I think we put out the fire is that we start teaching the true history of this country. We start teaching the accomplishments in school early on to all children about the accomplishments of African-Americans that there were Black people who were here building this country um, before the Mayflower even set sail to come across the ocean, um, that there, were, there was a German coast uprising that slaves in Louisiana tried to free themselves that we don't learn about um, in history. Um, so many examples in history that we should know about. And then if we, if we can do that, Instead of saying that, instead of teaching our children that Columbus discovered America, there was nothing that Columbus discovered about America. The reality is that Columbus, you can say that Europeans conquered America, but they didn't discover it. That's insulting to Native Americans. If we can start from the beginning and teaching the truth about the real origins of this country, I think that we change the mindset of everyone involved. That's white, black, Native Americans, um, uh, Latino Americans, Latino Americans. And then we can come to consensus about how we fix this problem. But it starts with the truth and then it continues on with relationships.
0: Let me, let me and I, I have a habit. I remember Larry King once saying the, um, the best question is based on the last answer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just gave me another question. And let me connect what, and I'll be up late at night trying, also waiting to hear your response connect the most recent study from the intelligence uh, community that the number one threat to the United States of America, the homeland today, is domestic extremist Mm -hmm. terrorism. Right. Now, if I wanted to start an argument and I was on your show, I would say, Don, these extremists, don't want to hear anything about history. They don't give a-, a Because they're
1: operating thing. out of ignorance.
0: Well, that, that's, that's, that's true.
1: My, that's my whole point. If, if someone had gotten to them-
0: And you honestly well, think you could,
1: yeah, if someone had gotten to them- Had gotten to them. But there's, but I'm talking about younger people. I said children, but you got to start with children and, and they have to, if they had learned the real history of this country as children, then they wouldn't be operating on a line now as adults, Joe, is what i And I'm what saying.
0: do we do with the adults now who are starting the fire?
1: Who, who are No, they're, they're pouring. They're continuing to pour gasoline on the and fire. And so what do fire you do with it? already them? started. So you, that maybe that's your next book, man, <laughs> how to put out the fire. <laughs> what, what, what we, well, then what we have to do then is the people, the 82 million people who, believe, who voted in November, who want to continue on with a more perfect union and who want to live in reality, we have to make sure that we stay together and band together enough that those people don't have a platform, that they go back to the days when they were hidden and not with with khakis and and polo shirts uh, and tiki torches and they're out in the open, that we have to make sure that a person like Donald Trump is never elected to the highest office in the land again. And that is done through the truth. And that's done through relationships with allies, and people who are like-minded, who want to do the right thing. That's how we fix that. You may never change those people, but you have to outnumber them. And the demographics of this country are, go- is go- are going to outnumber them by 2040 and 2045, or 2045 we will be a minority-majority country. And the reason those people are fighting tooth and nail to keep what they have is because they know that they are in the death throes of white supremacy in this country. That's why that's happening.
0: I'm going to end it there because I don't want to give away the whole book, <laughs> uh, tell people to go out and buy it. Um,
1: I thoroughly, we have to do this uh, again. And um, Joe, I'll come, no, on your time as, I'll come on your show as often as you bad. ask if, if, my, if my, um, my schedule allows. I, I love understand. having a conversation with you.
0: Uh, anytime, Don, and the best to you. And we've just skimmed it. I mean, we didn't even get into the part of you dealing with the double whammy—you know, your race, your gen, your sex orientation. I mean, and you had, and you navigated through all of that. Well, that's and,
1: that's why James Baldwin is my literary hero. Gabe Black- I understand. Yeah, but let me tell you, I don't get to see you this early in the morning, man. You ugly. <laughs> I had to do that because you said I was old in the beginning of this interview.
0: You know, l- let me tell you something. <laughs> let me tell you something. Age is something like fine wine, bro. Um it's not the it's not the bottle. It's what's inside
1: it. All right now.
0: Yeah. Uh, I'll drop the mic on that one. Goodbye.
1: You. You're a handsome man. I love you. Continue doing the great work, Joe. Thank any you. day, man. Any day.
0: And uh congratulations on the book. And I look forward to the second one.
1: This is the fire.
0: All right. Thank you, man. Thank you. God bless. You too. <laughs> Bye, Joe Madison. Bye, Don Lemon. Mean, mean, <laughs>
1: man. I'll see you later. Tell your wife I said hello.
0: No. <laughs> <laughs>